Welcome to another episode of the Wicked Aloha Podcast. My name is Will Rich. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Patrick Bremel. And today's episode, we had the opportunity to sit and chat with our good friend, John O'Hara. Johnny O is a longtime surfer and has competed at all levels of stand-up paddleboarding. He has traveled all around the world and is always full of stories. At the ripe age of 57, he is still running circles around people half his age. And because of this, he is just the kind of person we like to talk to to see what keeps a guy like him going. Please enjoy our conversation with the storyteller, John O'Hara. It's almost like we got, we got Father Winter over here. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. And how about my virus, uh, Winter Undergear? And I just put on my, my ski jam, American your, contractor hoodie. Your coronavirus winter ski gear? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I didn't think about that, man. I wear my virus shit all the time because it's winter. <laughs> and I have to, I have to say, I was, I was in the supermarket, and it's like I had on all my virus gear and, the, you know, my mask and my, you know, my gloves. And I have to I didn't think about it. Someone took oh, a picture geez. of me. My buddy That's took funny. a picture of me. He took a picture of me and I had and he sent it to me. And I saw it and it had like my virus gear on. Oh my God. Classic. People were probably like, where do you get that stuff? Jesus. God, this guy's an asshole. Oh, maybe they thought it was some kind of new like COVID proof fabric or something, which did. Yeah, I, I imagine that that shit. company is either doing really well or really not doing well during this I whole was, thing. Oh, I was man. thinking about that, man. I wonder if this is benefiting them or not. Jeez. However, you were uh, the virus walking around. Mm. I was. Right. I was. <coughs> Whoa. A little kombucha. Turmeric uh, sunrise, and I put my I put a shot of my uh, I put making my homemade ginger my homemade ginger shot I put inside of it. Speedballing, just like Trump right. said. Speedballing, mixing them two together <laughs> down the hatch. You got the added Tide Pod for flavor in there, or what? Just an extra ginger boost, since I don't have any Lysol today to drink. Oh, man, I just ran out of my... We've been having COVID coffees every day at, like, 2 o'clock, and I had the last one on my batch today. I called my, my coffee roaster guy on the vineyard and ordered another five pounds. So what what's a COVID coffee? Uh, it's just this really... There's this guy on, uh, on the vineyard named Todd who... Uh, he used to work at Town Hall, and then he bought a coffee roaster and started roasting coffee in a shed in his yard. And he is like, he's one of those guys that understands it at a level that nobody else kind of even can comprehend. Like he'll sit oh. there and, you know, you get most of these roasters and they just roast everything black and cook it to shit. And then they just like, oh, it's espresso. And this is French roast. But this guy's like, he'll hit it and then he'll do like a 300 minute, not, I mean, a 300 degrees oh. at, at 35 seconds. He has all these things, but. His shit has flavor, like like there's flavors to coffee that he talks about coffee like some people talk about wine, and it's you drink it and it's just like what? But COVID uh-huh. coffee is just the mocha pot with a with steamed coconut milk, so they're like little lattes, but it's more the coffee than anything. So uh-huh. now we're trying. Huh? Does he still have his job at City Hall? No, he quit. He went full in really? on the on the coffee like uh, wow. seven seven eight years ago. He's killing wow. it. Wow. He's got literally a shed that's like eight by twelve with two of these really expensive uh, 
I think they're yeah. Dutch machines, coffee roasters, and he just sits out there with his music playing and like oh, wow. roast roast beans all day, man. It's amazing. Oh, he's That's a good cool. He's a good testament to going all in on on your passion and just making it work, no matter what yeah. you want to do. Yeah, and he's he's you know his I think his wife works too, but they got three kids, man, and they're all off to going off to college, and he's crushing it, man. That's amazing. He, yeah, wow. he's got this little like portable espresso trailer, like a espresso bar trailer that he takes to all the the uh, like farmers markets and town events and stuff, and he just pops it up, and he's got like a tie on, and it's like. All these expensive Italian machines are making cappuccinos and shit. It's fucking wow. wow. He did just he just does strictly on Nantucket. So no, vineyard. I mean, no, he goes to like all the big cyclocross races, like that one in Gloucester. Uh, and he okay. does bike races. Yeah. He's the next bike racer guy too. So wow. pretty good, good shit. I'll get you guys. Oh, yeah. So I actually I had actually talked to him about doing a hobo squad, you know, private labeled thing, but that was back when I thought hobo squad was something. Arr, arr. <laughs> it is something, Patrick. Yeah, I was gonna now. buy. I was gonna buy an espresso machine a while ago, and I reeled myself back in on it because I started doing like a little bit of research, and it was like you can get an espresso machine for a hundred or two hundred dollars, or you could get an espresso machine for eight thousand dollars. Oh yeah, and it brought me. I had I had a uh, I had flashbacks of when I bought a juicer, and I spent a hundred dollars on the juicer not having done very much research and was like oh this is super expensive because at, at the time dollars yeah. was like can't believe i'm dropping a hundred dollars on this appliance because i'm 20 something years old and i just want to spend a hundred dollars on beer instead and so i i bought this juicer and it turned out to be a complete piece of shit that i just had to spend <laughs> four times as long cleaning than I would yeah. as if I had spent $300 and bought a real juicer. Yeah. Um, and so I had, you know, shell shock and flashbacks from, from that. And so I just, I didn't end up buying an espresso machine. And instead I just used my AeroPress or my mocha pot. And yeah. there I'm, you just, go. I'm, I'm the same off. What I'll juicer do you one. have, John? I have the Omega 8. The Omega eight zero zero four. It's a. Uh, Do you juice a, every day? Uh, you know what? I try to. I try. I try to make. I, so it's forty eight hours for a cold press, and so I try to make a batch that will last me two days, and then so what, I don't. Do I don't. What do you mean when you say it's 48 hours for a cold press? So I guess cold. cold you know, there's um, there's different. Yeah, I was gonna uh, ask that. What cold press? Yeah, cold. I don't know. Whatever the it's the terminology. It's the it's mm-hmm. the process of pressing, and I guess a cold press. You know, all the you know uh, nutrients. It, it's ma- it's maximum nutrient like uh, extraction. Yeah, is within forty eight hours. Yeah. So I, I usually, I usually meaning you have batch. to yeah. meaning you have to drink it within forty eight hours, or it takes yeah. forty eight hours. No, no, no. You you have to okay. drink it within forty eight oh, okay. hours. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. So that's what I do. And then uh, I've been I've been doing side I've been doing uh, speedball and ginger shots with it. So uh, so I'll make my first batch will be ginger, pineapple, uh, lemon, and lime. And that then I put that separate in these two little ginger shot bottles. And then I make my full on mixture with uh, what do I do? I do beets, pineapple, kale, or collard greens are the best. So you collard greens, carrots. 
tons of ginger, uh, turmeric. Uh, so you've been uh, you've lemon, been lime, celery. Juicing, you've been juicing long enough cucumber. to know how much you can yeah, juice cucumber. Yeah. Without, without too much waste. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have zero waste other than obviously my roughage, and so that comes out the shoot. That comes out the poop chute, and uh, that goes outside to the raccoons and foxes and whatever run around through my yard. But um, so, as far as uh, waste, yeah, it's all just a roughage, you know. So, yeah, is there waste? Of course, you know, I've heard about people using the roughage to like make muffins and stuff like that. But um, I did try doing something with the with the. <laughs> I think I tried to make a smoothie. Putting all the roughage inside of the blender, and Ooh. then adding yo yo adding yogurt and uh, and some like almond milk. That uh, wasn't very tasty. So, uh, but anyways, and then I, I usually do once I get the juice bottled and everything. Rob Rhodes, my buddy up in Maine, Robbie, the Mid Coast Cruiser. Uh, he always says you can't juice. You can't have your first sip until all the until the machine's fully clean. So uh -huh. you try to, yeah, you try to stick to that. If not, you got stinky shit in your house and uh, rotting, you know, stuff in your, uh, in your sink. So, and then what I do is I'll, 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 I'll do my first hit. Usually I do, I know I do three ounce increments, like every, every like three or four hours for like two days. So I kind of use it like medication. And how, how long have you been doing this whole process? Uh, when did you start juicing? Question. Uh, probably a good three years ago. My buddy Robbie up in Maine, he got me hooked up with it. So three or four years ago, I guess. Uh, you know, I generally stick with it. There are times where I don't, you know, and I kind of go off. But definitely in the winter, like November through May, uh, I think the ginger is the, if you don't, you know, I, I, I think that keeps me from from getting uh, from getting the flu and the virus and all this other shit, cold virus. Thank God. <laughs> Speaking of which, how have you been doing with the seasonal stuff this year, man? Yeah, my seasonal affective disorder. Well, yeah, you usually you usually run away to the Caribbean every year. Yeah, yeah, uh, I do. I do since I was eighteen, and uh, I got diagnosed with that. Blood. Probably two years, years ago. ago, two or three, yeah, two or three years ago. Yeah. And I was, I was, I, I was here, and I said, "All right, I'm gonna battle winter." Started off strong, and I was, I got into pond hockey again, so I was cranking the pond hockey and having a blast. And then I, I twisted my ankle playing pond hockey, so I was on the DL list. And then I got, <laughs> fuck, man. So then did I got you get cold. traded. No, I did. <laughs> I got a cold. I got the. No, I got a cold. I got bronchitis. Then I got the flu, and this was like three months of just like, and then I, I figured, okay, I have Lyme disease because uh, a couple of the boys got, one did and one didn't, but they thought they had Lyme disease. So I figured, okay, I have it. So I got tested, didn't get tested, got tested, negative, tested, negative. Hmm. So all this shit was going on. Finally, I went to a uh, infectious disease dude. And he looked at me and he says, dude, all your blood works clean, this and that. So he asked me, he says, what's your lifestyle? And I said, ah. you know, kind of seasonal guy, disappear every winter. And he says, how long have you been with that for? And I said, you know, since I dropped out of college my first time, oh, eight times I dropped out of college. Um, 
and went to Florida. So he says, so you've been going, he said, you've been leaving, you've been leaving New England every winter since you were 18. I said, yeah. And he says, well, I'm going to tell you something and you're going to, th- you're going to think I'm full of shit and everyone's going to tell you I'm full of shit. But you have a severe case of seasonal affective disorder that's compromising your immune system. How's that? I don't, see why, I don't see why anybody would think that was fucking crazy, especially if you live in New England. You would understand that at a cellular level. Yeah, but New Englanders don't accept that shit. Come on, yeah, man, that's toughen true. up. Toughen, toughen up. Toughen up. Come on, kid. Toughen up. You know? Uh, so anyways, I, I looked at him and I said, so are you prescribing a trip to the Caribbean? He said, "If there's, he says, well, I can't prescribe that, but if there's one thing I would tell you to do, that would be it. So I called my buddy Andrew, Andrew Keller. He had an extra room down in uh, Rincon, and off I went. Was that last year or two years ago? No, that was that was the year. That was the March after that their hurricane. So that was the, their oh, first yeah, winter yeah. semi-open. You know, after the hurricane, so it was actually a great winter to go to Rincon because it was empty. Wow. So uh, we surfed our brains out for three weeks, and, but it took me sixteen days. Sixteen days that like to to kind of flush the seasonal effect of shit. But, and, and then last year, and then last year you went to New Zealand and uh, then right. came up came up to Hawaii and, and you know, hung with me for a little bit. All right, and All right. Yeah, so huh. I avoided it. Yeah, but la- yeah, last year I did uh, flew to see my buddy Benji in Byron Bay. Had a blast in Byron and um, surfed the pass every day with uh, three to four hundred of my best buddies, my best mates. And, uh, yeah, great wave, great people. Uh, I felt a little self-conscious with, <laughs> with my full, my full, my full length hooded rash guard and my my white uh, makeup on and uh, my long board shorts because I don't think anyone has board shorts over. Like literally, they're I think they're package package length. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when so all the hipsters, when, all the hipsters with their short board dude, shorts. They'll be, so. they'll, they'll be, they'll get it sooner or later. Uh, all right, exactly. hanging out in the sun all day, surfing exactly. the trunks in the tropics. Exactly. You know, they're all young, handsome bronze Aussies, including my buddy, my buddy Benji, who's an absolute legend. Uh, ben Taylor. Uh, met him in Panama in 2000. I bet he was dating a woman who became his wife at the time. That was going to Brown University in Providence. So he says, oh, I'm going to be up, mate. And I said, well, I'll come up for a few days. He stayed for a few years till he got deported. That's another story. But uh, Benji and, and the crew, you know, like you said, and then all the old Aussies have their big caps on, you know, yeah. so it's like it's incremental, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, I, so I start, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, so started in Oz. It was hotter than hell there. It was. It was. It was actually. It was similar, not quite as hot as this winter they have. But I remember how dry uh, we went to a waterfall, and there literally wasn't a drop. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy, man, crazy. And that was only twenty minutes from Byron Bay off the coast. I can't imagine inland, but so I didn't. And then the, fi- gonna, the fires were this winter, right? Those nasty fires, fires. were this winter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they didn't have they didn't have fires that winter. But that winter they had. I think they broke like three records like thursday friday saturday each day getting hotter and hotter so so after two weeks i escaped to the to new zealand and did south island and south island is just 
Awesome, man. South Island was like paradise, 65 degrees, sunny, hiking. And then, uh, wow. Yeah, that was that was the most magical place I've ever been in this world by far. Wow. Uh, yeah, Mount Cook and then uh, all the rivers, glaciers, uh, coastline was spectacular. The West Coast was spectacular. Uh, and then I went up to North Island and caught up my buddy Fade. Uh, Fade, he's Maui Nui Designs. He does all the, he does a, he does, he's a bone carver. So, um, he does all types of, you know, necklaces and stuff like that. But, uh, he's in, he's actually the nephew of that guy, Hoppy, that Mike Brown gets all the, um, books from. Mm. Um, and Hoppy was one of the original bone carvers there. So, surf the East Coast, that was, uh, that was really fun. Uh, can't, I can't remember the name of the town. And then I went over to Raglan, man. Raglan was sick. Raglan was what year spot. did you start surfing? I started surfing when I left Gloucester. And I left Gloucester as a meat and potatoes, football, basketball, baseball, pond hockey playing kid. And I was about 20 years old. And me and Billy Rochford, we were sitting at the old Blackburn Tavern. Classic. And I had on my brother, my head, I wasn't 21, so I had my brother's ID, snacking my brother's ID, sitting at the bar, having a couple of Budweiser's, <laughs> probably Schaefer's at the time. And some guy yells over to me and says, oh, Harry, you barfly. He's oh, Harry, you barfly. And I looked at my buddy and I said, man, I said, we got to get the fuck out of this town. And he says, you're right. I said, where are we going? He says, California. I said, California it is. So wow. packed up, packed up my Dodge Dot. Uh, two weeks later, we drove to California cross country, had a blast driving cross country, and I arrived. We arrived in San Diego. We arrived. What in year Canada. was that? That was in 1984. So we arrived wow. in the Del, Del Mar, slept on the beach, and then got in the campground. They kicked us out of that campground. So uh, another campground, and then another campground. But I, so you I know, started. You know what I was doing in 1984? Yeah. You were probably still in diapers. I was shitting myself. <laughs> uh, I was shitting myself too, but I didn't have diapers on. Um, so '84 in '84, I started so, in San Diego. Yeah, started in San so you, Diego. You've seen you three to... decades of surf culture, and I have just the the whole scene changing. Right. And you have how many different countries have you surfed in? You know what? Central America, South America, Europe, Fiji, New Zealand, Australia, Hawaii. You surfed almost States, every continent. Caribbean. Uh, I just haven't. I haven't done. I haven't done Asia. I guess Asia and Africa. Europe. Yeah, yeah. Surfed um, Spain, France. Wow. Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that was what I remember. Yeah, if you what like is, going going back, I'll just go real back. Joe Roper, Joe Roper Ding Repair. Yeah, uh, that's where I started, man. I started right in front of Joe Roper's shack in, in Pacific Beach in 1984. No way. And Skip Fry was there, and I remember Gordon 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 Smith. Right. Wow. That yeah. was like the, they were the they were the board company out of out of uh, San Diego. Yep, yep. The real quick, the shape for them. 
That's right. So real quick, this is this is how much of a kook I was. I I used to go down to the beach. I lived up the street. And I went down to the beach like I don't know on Saturdays. I used to watch these guys surf. And I remember this guy. His name was Tony, and he pulled up in like an early Toyota, like one of those you know four wheel drive two door cab things, and he had two boards on his roof. So I asked him. I said, "Why do you have two boards? You can only surf one board at a time." He ah. says, "Well, <laughs> he says, well, one's a long board and one's a short board." I said, "Really?" I said, "Do you think you might want to? Do you think you might want to sell one of the boards?" And he just looked at me, and because I was such a kook, he, I, I think he just felt sorry for me. And he <laughs> says, "You know." <laughs> I'm serious because I was, I had no idea that why would you need two boards? You know, it's like, why do you need two bikes? You can only ride one bike at a time. So anyways, he said, you know what? Come back next Saturday. He said, I'll think about it. Came back next Saturday and he sold me an original 9.6 Challenger. Wow. Yeah. Original 9.6 Challenger, man. In 84. In 84, the dark 80. days of the transition from the twin fin to the thruster. <laughs> Holy shit. Right, right. And so I, I used it. Uh, how many weeks I used it? I don't know how many weeks it took me before I got stitches in my lip, a black eye, and then I snapped the nose off of it. Uh, and that was it. But anyway, so that was the start of surfing. And then I went to a, a channel bottom thruster, which I couldn't even stand up on. Then I moved back to New England, and I tried surfing here with Scott Hitchcock. He took me up to Maine, like in April, and I had on latex, my mother's latex dishwashing gloves <laughs> underneath, <laughs> <laughs> underneath my brother's dive gloves and my brother's dive booties with a, uh, a shorty wetsuit I brought from San Diego, and then a three, and then a, a three-two I brought from San Diego. My, my brother's dive oh. and I tried to surf winter with that thing. What year was that? That was probably 86, 87. Wow. And then I think I tried surfing around Cape Anwell with uh, Jaga, Safaro, Scott, Cardbury, handful of the, uh, Chucky Skangas, handful of local boys. And then I just, I gave it up. I gave it up to 94 because I said, fuck this. <laughs> In this cold weather, <laughs> like, I could, you know, uh, that was that. So, so with that with that almost ten year gap, yeah. Well, how how much did the surf scene change in New England? In, you know just in, those, t- in, in those ten yeah. years, you know what? It, it, like, uh, what, did, I was, did it not change at all? Yeah, because so it I still back, probably hasn't changed. Yeah, no, it changed. Now. It's changed now. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, you know what? I was out of the scene, so I don't know. But no, it didn't change. So when I got back into it, in probably ninety three. Uh, I was going to Salem State, go Vikings. Um, <laughs> trying to get my, got, finally got my degree at 31, I think. Yeah. Uh, I taught for six months and I retired. Uh, what did you get a degree in? Got a degree in secondary education. No, I got a degree. My degree was in English literature with a minor in a state certification in secondary ed and a, dou- and a double minor in. Afro-Caribbean studies. Wow. Yeah. So I taught at Lynn English High School, English as a second language, and the kids were such little bastards, and the administration was such pricks. I retired <laughs> after six months. They offered me a job at 18.5, and I said, you know what? I can make that painting houses in the summer. So that was that. 
But back to the surf thing. Um, so I got back into it in 93. And, you know, nothing had changed in Gloucester. All the boys that surfed were either contractors, fishermen, old school, man. There was no board shorts. There was no flip flops. There was no hey, dude. There was pickup trucks, work boots, jeans, and flannel shirts. And you either jumped off the job site or you had a day off from the boat and you surfed. And there's none of this bullshit, you know, fluffy, you know, hey, dude, you know, uh, surfer attire, crap going on. And we had to drive to New Hampshire today. We had to drive to Cinnamon Rainbows in New Hampshire, Hampton, or we had to drive to Warm Winds in Narragansett, Rhode Island, or Redney's. Redney was yeah. the man down in uh Right over the bridge, Middletown. What a good dude, man. Good dude. Yeah. And uh, as is Dave Cropper up at Somerset, uh, Cinnamon Rainbows. But uh, so there was no surf scene, Will. No, it, it really hadn't changed. And then my buddy Jim Plunkett, the legendary Jim Plunkett, opened up Visceral Surf Shop. I remember and, Visceral. Yeah, and Visceral. So, some guy had Good Harbor Beach Surf Shop and he tried, but it never took off. So Jim took over the space over near Good Harbor. Uh, nice hobbies and um, open visceral surf shop. So that began the beginning of kind of the core crowd of surfers now. You know, Andy Lee, John Ratcliffe, uh, Will Lothar, Mike Duncan, Jared, uh, John Hintley. And, you know, that that crew kind of formed them. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Vincent, Rick Silvera, you know, so. We all got into surfing at that same time. And then the scene slowly kind of picked up a bit. But then the shop closed, so it kind of disappeared again. So, it was, we, I mean, Gloucester, we had it left to ourselves probably probably until about five years ago. And now it's a shit show. But uh, It is amazing how, how much surfing has grown just in uh, probably 10 years, really. Five, right. five to 10 years. Yep. But it just went from, like, being kind of crowded to just all of a sudden i think it was i think it, it can't it spiked with the onset of the of the availability of the internet like the information mm -hmm. got out there mm -hmm. the equipment got out there online and then it just fucking blew up exactly exactly you know and you know you will will you ask how it changed it's like okay back in the day probably when me and patrick started and i don't know when when you started it was the same but it was like you know, the older local guys that were there, you gave them this space, you know, and it's like, you know, sure. Would they drop in on your shore? This and that. But you gave them the space. You respected them. You actually didn't go and surf where they surfed, you know. So you stayed off the peak. You stayed out of their kind of secret spots. And you certainly didn't tell anybody. You know, that was the code, right, Patrick? Yeah. That was the code. You didn't tell anybody where you surfed. You know, and that was like, and a fellow surfer would understand that. So they'd say, oh, you know, where you're from, so Gloucester, oh, you guys get good, well, yeah, it's all right. And they wouldn't even ask you where the breaks are because it was, they knew it was the code. And yeah. so if you wanted to surf Gloucester, you'd have to come here and find the breaks. Or if I wanted to surf Rhode Island, I remember going down to Rhode Island and going to New Hampshire, just driving the coast until I saw something that looked like a wave or some guy surfing. And and if I did paddle out, I certainly paddled like far away from the peak, sat on the shoulder and mm -hmm. got yelled at, took a scrap, you know, but, you know, and it was, uh, 
you know, you just, and you, you work your way into the lineup, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it took me 10 years. It took me 10 years in Gloucester wow. to like finally kind of surf the waves and the peaks where the, you know, the guys who had, you know, the, the, the locals, yeah. you know, and, um, and you know what? And they respected me for it. And not that they didn't drop in on me still, but, uh, <laughs> But I think that was, it was just a respect thing, you know, and it was, um, and so you ask how, how, if things have changed, it's like that part has, to me, has almost, almost disappeared, you know, mm-hmm. uh, probably not in Hawaii, uh, you know, but they just, they just, there's just more enforcement in places over there. I think, I still think it's completely, I don't know, there are, there are spots, probably the, the A spots that are. There's still a hierarchy, but right. There's right. so many the people spots. going through there that it's like, right. how do you how do you control it? Right, right. And it's also, you know, you know, as I told you guys, I listen to KKCR a lot, which is quiet community radio. And uh, they do a lot of they do these snippets called talk stories where they talk to old Hawaiian local, this and that. And then they have on, you know, certain sounds of sovereignty where they talk about Hawaiian sovereignty and but there's always the theme, not that it's a theme station you know the 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 basis the absolute basis of the hawaiian culture is respect respect for your elders you know what i mean and respect for those who came before you and respect for the land that is here before you yeah and and i have to say that's the part of the hawaiian culture that really impresses me and this this one female singer was on she was on from uh uh, I think it's Anahola. Anahola. It's uh, in 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 Kauai, and she was discussed. She was saying that she talked about you know this this old uncle that would he'd sit there and he'd mend the nets, and the whole the whole village, like would stop and like talk with him and listen to him, you know, and then learn from him and respect him. And she said, and she made a comment. She said, you know, the biggest boys covered with tattoos. When they get around elders, they become children again, you yeah. know, and they, and they honor and they listen. And then yeah. I was reading something about it last night, you know, and they said that even if you know, even if you think they may be wrong, you don't say anything. Yeah. You know, you allow them to speak and this and that. So, you know, so, you know, a bit of a tangent there, but I think uh, in certain cultures that respecting, uh, you know, kind of, you know, uh, exists still maybe on yeah. land in, in the ocean, but in the ocean, I think it's slowly dissolving. Uh, yeah. you know, and so, uh, but it, it's not like pointing blame at the newcomers, you know, I think they're coming in and I think they're, they're honestly, uh, they're not aware of etiquette. They're not aware of what was it, what existed before you yeah. know, this kind of hierarchy and this kind of like, Mm-hmm. you know slowly working your way in you know they're just not aware of it i don't think they're like maliciously trying to do it but and i think the industry just hot you know just mass production in china and asia and just you know pumping up boards into the market you know adds to the you know the kind of kind of the chaos but um uh, when did you jump what, on the stand-up paddleboard i jumped on a stand-up paddleboard you know i was thinking about that last night 
Because I, I would argue that you're probably one of the pioneers of stand-up paddleboarding for New England. I would say the guy sitting below you on the screen here, the handsome devil down in Nantucket, uh, is probably the, one of the pioneers because he was, as he said, you know, he was paddling in obscurity uh, on Martha's Vineyard, you know, making his own board shorts, paddles. Dude, I paddled for three boards. years, stand-up paddle, before a carbon fiber paddle was available and before a stand-up paddleboard was even conceived by surf tech. Exactly. I've been on the water. I've been on the water three years solid, maybe four before that first leg came out. I remember pre-ordering yeah. one of those legs and it yeah. was the first one to show and up out here. And what did you, um, what were you paddling for a board? I just had, I got tandem? lucky, man. I, yeah. I had a tandem board that I got yeah. off some dude in Florida off of, uh, it was like one of those used boards, you know, pre eBay. I got it when I was yeah. living in Washington, DC and, uh, in 98 and the dudes, I sh he shipped it up from Florida Wow. I just love, I always loved riding giant boards. I had a 10, right. my first board was a 9.6, and then I had a 10.0, 10.6 that I had made by Yater. And then when I saw that 12-footer, I was like, holy shit. That's but they also, crazy. they had just come out with that Mugno. Surf Tech had that 12-foot right. Mugno. Right, I right, think right. So but, that board's a fucking dog. But no, I told it, dude. It's like a banana, right? It'll yeah, it is. It turns great. Really That's about all it does, yeah. Uh, so what was, the width of, what was the width of that tandem? Uh, 26. 27? 26. 26. So that yeah, so yeah. that was a bit of a challenge, yeah. I mean, yeah, right yeah. Yeah, no, I tried it a couple of years before in uh, as early as like 2003. I remember taking it to Baja and I just couldn't stand on the fucking thing, so I put it away for a few years and then right. I uh, came back to it, but it was you tough. Took it, you took you took it as a as a surfboard, not as a paddleboard. Right now. No, I took it I, I brought a paddle too. Actually, oh, I, wow. I had made the paddle right before I left. And I did the final sealer coat with epoxy on the beach at Punta Cono and the Seven Sisters. There's still fucking sand in the paddle. I still have it here. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, I so there you go, Will. This, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, sorry. No, no. So there you go, Will. Patrick, I would say, is probably the pioneer of New England paddle. No, and that, what's, his, what's his name? Is uh, Sean Beck. He was doing it before Plymouth Flintstone was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Patrick, I actually have one of your t-shirts that uh one of your janitor t-shirts that says sweeping the sea since 2003. Yeah. There you yeah. Go. Wow. I, I gotta make those uh, So yeah, Patrick was I, I think five years before me. But before I start with that, so you said where I started surfing. So I started surfing in San Diego, and I remember I remember I used to go up, I lived in Pacific Beach, and uh I lived in La Jolla first, which is amazing. But anyways, wow. uh yeah, I lived. We lived on the street with all the Mexican gardeners, and there was a in the building I lived in. There was a shooting. <laughs> really? So me and my butt. Yeah, we split a studio. It was like La Jolla's low rent district, right behind the comedy store. And I was there dating. Was such a thing. Yeah, and I was. This was in '84, '84, and I pumped gas at Chevron Bird Rock. So that was where surfing began. Chevron wow. Bird Rock on the corner of La Jolla Boulevard and Bird Rock Ave. And I used to take my little paper bag with my uh, homemade ham and cheese sandwich and my chips in the zip in the Ziploc in my Coke. <laughs> and I'd go down at lunch and I'd sit on the rocks at Bird Rock and watch these wow. guys. How's that for like an introduction to surfing? Jeez. It's amazing. That's like, isn't that? I mean, Bird Rock is like, and then, you know, I mean. Our whole area. Yeah. Wind and Sea. I got chased out of Wind and Sea twice. One guy had a, one guy had a dive knife. He had a what? dive knife on. He had a dive knife on his on his fucking boot 
And first time I got first time I got chased out, I just got you know I, I shouldn't have been there anyways. Into the you know, I think I just got chased out. And the second time, the guy had a dive knife and he lifted his fucking leg up on the board. And he said it pointed to the knife. He says, "I think you ought to get going." <laughs> no like, way! Yeah, it's like you know what? I'm gonna go up the street and get a breed. I'll be back later, though. Don't worry, you. <laughs> wow! And, uh, that was in localism, dude. PB was local. I mean, it was like heavy. But what I was getting to, I used to go up to North County and I used to hide in San Alejo Campground and surf the little peaks in there because nobody went in. They surfed pipes to the north, swamis, and then they surfed Cardiff Reef. So I remember I, I surfed San Alejo and I sit up on the cliff and watch the boys at Cardiff Reef. And I never forget this. Never forget this. This guy was out there standing up, paddling around with an oar. No way. And that was in 84. It was probably, that was probably 85. Wow. So somebody in California was stand up surfing at the Cardiff Reef. And I remember seeing his silhouette going, what the fuck? This guy's like got an oar in his hand. Yeah. yeah. So what a kook. Cook, yeah. But so the reason why I got a paddleboard is because I started outrigger paddling with uh, Boston Outrigger, um, which was in Salem, Massachusetts, the witch city. And I was living in Salem because my daughter was finishing up school there at uh, St. Joseph's. Uh, and so that was probably 2007. I met a guy at a party, a Colombian guy who paddled for and uh, I don't know. He says, "Yeah, there's a surf party." And I said, "What do you?" Do? I said, "You surf?" He said, "No, I paddle." He said, "Outrigger." I said, "Outrigger? Where is it? Salem?" I said, "New Hampshire." He said, "No, Mass." It's like, whoa. So I paddled with them, and um, I never forget. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, <laughs> I was probably 210. It's probably the the biggest I had ever been, and I was, I was in the gym all the time because I just broke up with a chick, and I was all fucked up. So I went to the gym. And I just, you know, I was eating chicken and, you know, protein <laughs> shakes. Dude, I was jacked, man. I was jacked. 210. I really huge, was, dude. dude, I was 6'2", 210, solid. Wow. I, like, I looked like Will Rich, man. Wow. And uh, so I started paddling for Boston Outrigger. And uh, the two, the guys who two started it were two Asian guys. Jeff Chun, who was pretty well built. And then Will Grayland. Who was this small, tiny, little, petite Asian dude? And then Scott Ibe was on the team too. And so I'd go up and I'd try to power through, man. And I was just toast after like 20 minutes. 20 minutes. I had no technique. No one was saying anything to me. And then finally I asked, and the whole boat started laughing. And I said, I asked him, ah. you guys, it's like I'm twice as big as any of you. And it's like, you guys are like kicking my ass. And they started laughing. And they said, we were going to wonder when you're going to ask us how to teach you some technique. And so uh, they were a great group. That was 207. So we had practice on, not games, practice, man, practice. We had practice on Saturday mornings at like, 6.30, and that was, like, manageable. And this started in, like, April, so the water was still cold, the air was cold. But then, and these guys were all techies that worked in the western suburbs in Boston and highly educated, unlike myself. And um, Wednesday mornings at 4.45 in the water. So we had to be at the beach, 4.30, what? 
launched the boats in the dark in April. And the water was April water, still low 40s. And uh, and I was just like, man, this is fucking miserable. So I figured, since I'm a slacker, uh, how can I train on my own? And OC1 was too expensive, so I heard about these paddle boards. So I went up to I went up to Cinnamon Rainbows, and I got a 12-1 Laird with no handle, no deck pad oh, yeah. for 16, 1600 bucks. Wow! And nice. uh, and I then I came back and I <laughs> I took it up in front of Dave's shop, Cinnamon Rainbows, was with my nephew. And he had my longboard, and I had that, and I tried surfing waves, and it's like, you know, I couldn't stand on the thing. And uh, but I brought it back, so I started training on that, and that was probably two. That was probably two oh eight, maybe. You know, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Oh, yeah it was right yeah. around, right around two thousand eight. Seems like the only, the only board that you could get in New England was the the twelve, twelve, 12 one layer, layer. Or, the yellow, and then and then if you had the the eleven six or the eleven O Laird, you were like ripper. super skills, super exactly. skills ripper. But exactly. uh, I remember um, Mike Simpson actually paddled the Aquidneck Island Challenge on a twelve one Laird, so oh. thirty eight miles on that twelve one surfboard. Wow! wow. Uh, and that I think that was oh eight, oh seven or oh eight, wow. and then, uh, the next. The next year after that, he went to Kauai, and then 2010. I'm not sure what happened in 2010. Maybe that's when he went to Kauai, and then 2011 we did our we did our long trip. But I remember I remember meeting you because you chewed my ass out for that's right. What you you thought that I uh, had cut a bunch of people off and paddled right back out into the lineup and. Uh, it just happened to be a misunderstanding because there were two guys with blue boards out that day. And uh, I remember paddling over to you after you had chewed me out. And I was like, I think you and I need to get off on a better introduction and start over. And uh, we sat and actually talked it out. And uh, that same day, I think I met Mike Brown. Right. All right. But I had been living in Rhode Island, so you guys didn't have an idea that I was – you know, even from Gloucester, knew anything about Gloucester right. or yeah, anything. Just, just like, oh, just another kook. Who, who's this guy <laughs> just coming out of nowhere? And, no, you know what? It is like, I don't know if it's a chew out, but anyways, <laughs> I, I, I think what was happening at that point was like, you know, since what, what was happening was like, okay, paddleboards were starting to really, you know, that was when that was that huge. You know, that was that huge dissension, you know, between paddleboarders and surfboarders. Uh, you know, paddleboarders actually took longboarders off the hook because <laughs> everybody hated longboarders before the paddleboarders showed up. Yeah, so we right. came out, the paddleboarders were like, now this, now they were one pack, sir, you know, shortboarders, <laughs> longboarders. But what's happening was like, I think I felt obligated and I felt like, okay, kind of the Gloucester surf scene kind of somewhat kind of yeah, non-verbally kind of expected me to kind of like, okay, keep an eye. And my thing, the whole thing was like, okay, you guys, let's try to, let's try to keep our space. Let's give those guys over at the point a good harbor, the wave and let's surf this wave. So if I, if I did, I apologize. Well, but I've done it since then. And I'm always like, I go up and say, listen, you guys, let's come down here with us. And the, you know, the middle peak, let's stay away from the main break. And it's like, whatever 
but anyways, uh, but that, that's what, but that seems to be what works, right? I mean, we were, you were talking about the, um, the respect before mm. and how people just don't know because they don't come from a surfing culture right. background. Correct. Correct. And I, in my experience, like you look at you guys, you're good friends and talking now because you were able to have that conflict and come out of it. And it's been my experience, right. you know, over on the vineyard where every once in a while you'll get some guy from out of town that shows up and paddles out to the spot right. and goes to the peak and, you know, you give him a warning once and then he does it again. And then it's like, then you confront him and you're just like, oh, I think we're here to fucking watch you surf. Like right. and <laughs> nine times out of 10, most times they're just like, man, I had no idea I was even doing right. it. Like, yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, it, then, so. then order is restored. It's, right. You know, right. Temporarily. Yeah. 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 So I think, temporarily. yeah. So, I, you know, and as, when I was in the paddleboard industry, uh, I actually had that discussion multiple times at surf expos, maybe with the companies I was working for, maybe the shops we visited. And it's like, okay, what, you know, whose responsibility is it? Cause the majority of paddle boarders are not coming from, a surf background so they have no knowledge and why would they have a knowledge you know right. why would they have knowledge but who's what so my whole thing was like okay why don't we put like one of those peel off you know plastic adhesives uh that kind of has a diagram of a surf you know it's surf etiquette it has a little diagram of a wave yep. and you know this and that but no one ever went for it so i, I think in some respect those buying paddle boards at rei or even at a surf shop they're not getting the, they're not getting any instruction or any, you know, kind of, you know, etiquette, uh, you know, background or education, I guess, from, you know, so, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, so Will, so that was that, that's where it started. And then, <laughs> and then, my, and then, like you said, man, if you were on a 10, four, a 10, six, man, you were, dude, you were like the man, you were skilled <laughs> to be able to stand on that. And uh, Mike Brown and Christian Del Rosario told me, you know, Christian said, we're surfing these down in Nantucket. And it's like, what are you talking about, man? You surf one of these things. Fucking, you can't surf these things. What are you out of your mind? So they said, they're surfing. So me, Brownie, and Christian paddled out. Christian was on a 10-6 C4. And I was on my Laird, and Brownie, I think, was on a Laird, too. And we went out at, like, head high good harbor. And the boys were all out there. And then we paddled out, and it was like, I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> number one, I got a lot of F-bombs thrown my way. But number two, I got my ass completely handed to me, completely handed to me sideways, probably a shoulder-high set, sideways on a 12-1 Laird. <laughs> And wow. uh, rolled all the way to the beach, tried to paddle it out on my knees. But then I tried to switch with Christian and I tried to stand on his 10 6. And it was impossible to even stand on the thing. It was like a banana peel. And it's like, I will never be able to get on a 10 6 ever in my lifetime. Will I ever get on that? Something that small, you know? And so then Brownie says, Yo, we're racing these things. <laughs> racing these things, man. How do you race? How do you race one of these, you know, fucking tanks? And as Mark Angelillo said, if I'm going to race, I'll race cars, not paddle boards. But um, ah. Ah. classic one-liner, yeah. 
But he said, we're racing these things up in Salisbury Beach, beautiful Salisbury Beach. <laughs> and I said, dude, I said, I stopped competing. And when I dropped out of college, my first or second time, man, I don't do any competition. And so he, Brownie kept asking me to go up, to go up, to go up the AA, what was it called? The Atlantic Paddleboard Association. ABPA. Atlantic Paddleboard. APBA, Atlantic Paddle Board Association. Oh, not the wow. AARP? No, it was. Well, yeah, it was the AARP. Yeah. <laughs> Brownie, Brownie was doing that, A APBA? ABPA. -A so Brownie was doing it. Wow. Uh, and that was J-Mac, Cristiano, uh, Andrew Keller. You know, the, the original, you know, that whole crew, man. What a great group of guys. And, uh, and I went up to the first race, and I remember pulling up with Brownie getting up at like six in the morning, fucking driving up to Sal's and we pull up and all the boys come over and he's introduced me and I'm just sitting there going, man, get this fucking over with, man. I am so, I am so, I don't even want to fucking be here. <laughs> so I did my first race with Andrew, Andrew Keller and uh, you had to pass. You had to, so we started on the beach, paddled out. We did a buoy course and we ran through the chicane, whether, whether once or twice, but when you ran through it at the end, you dropped your board at the beach and you had to run through with your paddle. And so Andrew, we both got to the beach at the same time. We both sprinted up, but he beat me through the, through the finish line, but he didn't have his paddle. So then they said, ah, what's happened, this and that. And it's like, well, I'll just call it a tie, fuck it, you know. But anyways, I guess I got the win because I had the paddle, but. And my motivation switched immediately. It's like, because it was 3500 bucks if you won four races. Wow. Yeah. So whoever sponsored it that year, the next year was eight grand. That's when Willis Brown won. Eight grand was, uh, what was the Revo? Revo sunglasses. Yeah. But the fr yeah, first year was 3500 So now I had motivation. It's like, okay, I can paint houses. So I figured, okay, $3,500, four races, divide my division sucks. That's probably 800 a race. So I said, wow, that's about three days of painting houses. So uh, that was my motivation to go back and keep keep doing the races. And so um, that was just an awesome year, the first year. Just such a good group of guys. We were all, I think we were all on still on rec boards. But uh, I won the series and I got my check on the podium with my check. I was stoked. We had after party. Well, I didn't open up the check. I'm driving down the park, driving around the highway back to Glasgow. It's twenty two hundred bucks. Twenty two hundred bucks. Well, Thirty five hundred. So they split it to give uh, the other half to the women's winner, which is Danny Schmidt, because uh, they at that they did, at that point they didn't know there was going to be a women's division or something. So, so there you go. Wow. But uh, so then after that, yeah, then after that, off we went. Right. That's when we all met. I think. Right. We were doing yeah. races around. New England, the turkey trot, me and Will hammering out at the turkey trot in Gloucester Harbor. Right, Will? Yeah. 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 And you were on you were on a 14-foot wooden board. <laughs> yeah, hammering it out. I remember that. We went out, we went out to the breakwater and back, and that, that headwind was brutal coming back. But you won. You took the breakwater from the beach in Gloucester? No, it yeah, wasn't that far. We we didn't have to go to the breakwater. We went to some well, some we went to a channel marker right. buoy. In You're the right. middle of the harbor. Uh, they didn't they switched it because of the winds or something. Didn't they kind of redo the course? 
I think so. It doesn't matter, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was a frigid day. It Fuck. Was, it was cold. I'm really but glad the, I didn't fall in the water that day. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But Manuel hammered it out. Who else is? Oh, uh, what was the guy's name? Uh, Jeff Diavolo. Jeff, Jeff Diavolo. Uh, California. California, right. So he paddled a little bit with Boston Outrigger, but that was it. Will won the 10-6 oh, Yeah. 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 We had, we, uh, that was Cape and Sup put it on, Dominic and Annalise, and uh, and maybe it was just Dominic at the time. And uh, we had we had his Duncan, partner Tyler, too. And partner Tyler, yeah. Tyler is right. And uh, we had Duncan Donuts Coffee and uh, Donut Halls on the beach, I think. And nice. Will... Will won a 10-6 Laird, and I won a wooden, a hand-carved soup ladle from uh, Tyler. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so that was that. But, uh, and then we all met, <laughs> and then we, right? And then we all started kind of meeting and training together. And I guess, what did, you know, the ABPA was still going on. But then there was a series. Was it, was, was it a series or what was going on around New England? Uh, I think there, there was just, you know, every... Every shop that sold boards pretty much tried to put on a race, I think, just to promote their own shop. And right. so we, we were just going from one race to the next. Uh, pretty much, You could pretty much make your own schedule and go to a race every single weekend. Yeah. And it was like, I, you'd kind of like look at Facebook or right. get word of who was going to what race and kind of yeah. plan your races. Like I... There were a couple of races that I definitely avoided going to because Patrick was going to be there, and I didn't want to have to race against Patrick because right. I wanted to win. <laughs> and Patrick was a big <laughs> and, and so you could you could like cherry pick races, and uh, then I I started. Well, this is after uh, after my whole East Coast trip, so I kind of gotten bitten by the distance bug. So I was choosing right. these long distance races that nobody else wanted to paddle, except right. for Patrick. So I had that that problem. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, I didn't, you, do, I didn't do anything like a hundred miler though. That, I still have that little that little piece of that little uh, card, that little race flyer uh, that, yeah, that yeah, has yeah. you on it. I still got that thing, man. But yeah, then we then we started expanding, and you know, we made a couple trips down south. We went to Connecticut. We went to New York. Um, right. And then I don't know if you were. Who you were paddling with at that time, but uh, you were going all over the place. Your your time in the industry was a lot, a lot more long lived than than mine, just because of getting into, you know, being an ambassador and being part of different companies right. and stuff like right. that. So yeah. You, yeah. you got a, you got around a whole lot more than than I did. Yeah, that was uh, that just happened by that, that was. I remember the three of us sitting having an ice cream, figuring out, okay, this industry is starting to take off. How are we going to be able to like work Captain our way Dusty's. into it? Captain Dusty's, that's right, Captain Dusty's. So, trying to work our way into the industry and kind of see if we can make a living out of it, you know. And it's like, and Patrick, you were shaping, doing your boards, which was awesome, and doing the Bonpo T-shirts, which is still the most legendary T-shirt and logo on the face of the earth. Uh, and that's approved. That's Rob Rhodes approved as well. Who's a 3D uh, animation uh, logo designer uh, who's done Nike and like Honda and Mercedes Benz. And he says that's one of the top three he's seen. So that's wow. Props to you, dude, for sure. Yeah, and uh, 
on. And then we all, you went that way trying to do that. And Will, you jumped in with a board company trying to make that happen. And then you got into doing your distance stuff. And then I basically sold my soul to social media. <laughs> I, no, but you were, you were sponsored by Starbucks for a little while. And then you got yeah. hooked up with Boga. And that's when you got to deal with a lot of traveling, right? Yeah. So I started with Starboard. Christian invited me to uh, Dan, Dan Gavea. And uh, Dan was great. Dan really got me started. Christian and Dan helped me get started. But uh, Dan was visiting Christian's shop. And uh, Christian said, why don't you come down lunchtime? I said, oh, I'm painting a house. Yeah, I'll come down after work, whatever. So I met Dan. We went out for a paddle. We kind of raced a bit. And he said, wow, man, you can paddle. And I said, oh, I've been doing outriggers, so I'm kind of you know, new to this, but you know, had some experience. And so he said, wow, would you like to be an ambassador? I said, sure. So I got a couple boards with Starboard. Did a year with them. Dan was awesome. He really got me into like the scene, I think. Uh, and then Bill Babcock gave me some uh, Kinalu paddles. And then I think my first like exposure, I think me and Andrew Keller and Chris Beggs, Danny Schmidt, we all went out to our first BOP. And I think that was our first exposure to like uh, probably 211, our first exposure to like the international scene you know or not you know international national scene and we got a freaking asses handed to us and uh <laughs> <laughs> what year was that that was 211 i think 211 wow. bop yeah the, 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 danny ching was dominating everything and uh so that was that it was super fun and then we carolina cup no it wasn't it was surf to sound in november went down there and did that and then i got in with focus did a year or two oh, with focus. Right, focus yeah and did some traveling with them and got more like national stuff going on in New England. And I think I got it. And that's when I got in with uh, Kialoa and uh, Mark Angelilo. And then that expanded, like you said, Boga. Boga is kind of when everything kind of came together. And Dave and Trish Myler were just super awesome people. And it was just a great fit. I was a hippie with my ponytail. They were hippies. And then my sidekick, or I was the sidekick too. Jeremy Vane, uh, and we did our cross country tour, and you know uh, that was really fun. Uh, but we got you did know, you, go, did got you guys go all the way across country? We did. We left. We went. We went. Oh, so that was probably two thirteen, and I went out and I did BOP, and then I had already been talking to Dave and Jeremy. I guess maybe I was already started with Boga, and they, they had asked me if I wanted to do a cross country tour with them, like a you know, promotional tour and do clinics and visit shops and do all that. And I was sign me up. So the warehouse is in Compton, California. Wow. <laughs> so we load, loaded up the Sprinter van in Compton, California with like 35 boards. And uh, as we were literally like, you know, gave each other, you know, Dave and Trish, they, yeah, gave a little bro hug, this and that. He says, oh, Johnny always says, by the way, you're in charge of social media. <laughs> and I looked at her, I said, I said, I said, what? It says you're in charge of Facebook and Instagram. It's like, no, I wasn't even on Instagram yet. And Facebook, I had absolutely no idea what I was freaking doing. And so wow. as we were driving cross country and that was it, we stopped in Texas, our first run. And, uh, and we were sleeping in the van underneath the boards, head to head, and feet to feet. And, um, and then we did our tour all over. Florida, South Carolina, Georgia. Uh, and we did a whole bunch of races. And, and that was a really fun time. Me and Jeremy had a blast.
blast. Yard was really fun dude. I didn't know him well, but he's a Massachusetts dude too, Central Mass. And uh, that was really, you know, we just hit it off. And, you know, like you guys, we're all, we're all New England boys. So we, we, you know, we know the deal. And uh, that was really, yeah, that was a great, you know, that was really, really fun, you know, uh, and met a whole bunch of people and raced all over, you know, the deal, you know, all those people and uh, great races met up with you guys. I think met up with Kim Riley. Right. Right. And so that was, that was that short, like, like you said, well, you guys, you know, I look at it and it's like, I look at you guys and it's like, I don't put myself in you guys category or Mike Simpson or, you know, any of you guys that have done that long distance kind of, you know, sadistic, masochistic shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, that's the hard, you know, you guys to me are the hardcore, you know, there's, there's no frills. There's no, you know, shit it's like just that. A different, just, it's a different thing, man. Right. Right. It's, it's endurance, you know? And yeah. so I guess, I guess what was happening at that time and what, what I ended up, you know, kind of my, uh, genre where the, uh, the four to six mile kitty, I, I usually, I usually enter the kitty in the women's category. So that's, that's where I generally won most of my races. Uh, I mean, I knocked down a couple of 10 year olds, but I didn't care. They were in my way. Huh. Uh, huh. You know, I mean, getting on the podium and getting that, you know, that, you know, plastic cup was more important than a nine year old kid having fun. You know? <laughs> But uh, but that was that was that genre, right? That four to six mile. That was what really blew up the scene, right? What blew up the industry. Oh yeah, six, the six mile was the standard pro level right. race, man. Yeah. Right. 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 So. Um, but you were in it for a while. You probably went to like what eight surf expos and like six BOPs and. Yeah, you you, you were you were yeah. like in it in it for a long time. I think I think I did about seven seven years straight of like yeah year round you know uh, wow. Caribbean in the win Caribbean in the winter, California BOP, maybe another did the um, did that race up at uh, Alcatraz. What was that race called? Battle oh, of the Battle Bay. Of Bay. Yeah, Battle of the Bay in San Francisco, and we were the last year that you went you went around the South Pylon. Golden Gate Bridge. And my That's buddy bad. Ross, yeah, my buddy Ross, who's a merchant marine and comes in and out of out of the out of Golden Gate, he said, I can't believe that they let you guys. That's that's like literally suicidal. Yeah. And I remember going around that, man. And uh that was hell. But then races in the Caribbean, that was super fun. And then clinics in the Caribbean ended up doing clinics for Boga uh throughout the Caribbean and maybe around the US a little bit. And then uh then I ended up joining up with Team Ireland, yeah, which was a whole, yeah, that was a whole different, you know, the international scene, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the ISAs, the, the ISAs, right? The World Paddleboard. What was it? The, the World Paddleboard Championships. I think is what they call it, right? It was WPA? No. No. I don't even know. WPA was that? This is this is the ISA. Oh. Internet. Yeah, the, the National Surfing, Surfing Association. That's right. Based out of uh, La Jolla, California, in the uh, their you know their presidente, the presidente is Fernando, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> who's a um, I guess he yeah. So, anyways, he was the guy who started Reef. You said right, Patrick? Yeah, the two yeah, Aguirre so, brothers. Uh, yeah, Aguirre, Fernando Aguirre, but. Um, 
so yeah, so that that whole that whole ISA scene was a root. That was a great experience in Team Ireland, man. Those guys are just awesome, and girls. Uh, those guys just rock. But as I tell people, you know, you know, Team Ireland in the in, in the in, you know in the World Paddleboard Championships is like the Jamaican bobsled team in the Olympics, you know. So uh, you know, last in the race, first at the bar. That was our that was our motto. Uh, but. Um, so where, yeah. where'd you go? You went you went to Fiji, and where where else did you go for that? So the the first one was uh, first one was 2013 in Peru, Lima, Peru. Wow. Yeah, and that was I got there a week before uh, because they asked me actually I was in Tortola. They asked me to jump into the 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 surfs the surf into I was originally doing technical and distance. Then they asked me one of the surf guys wasn't going to go, so I went a week before so I could learn the wave and kind of surf. So um, I ended up hanging out for a week with the, all the locals at La Pampilla, which is where the event was held. And I ended up staying with one of the locals. And so I had like, and I speak Spanish. And so I was literally as much, I was more part of the Peruvian team than I was part of the Irish team because I didn't know any of these guys. And so it was a great experience. Team Ireland came over, got to know those guys and, uh, the coolest part about that was I remember my first my first race it was a it was a distance race, and it was like it was Olympic sanctioned. It was Olympic. Um, they went under Olympic rules, and they were doing p testing and stuff and that. You come out of the porta potty, wow. and the guy yeah sitting there waiting for you come to test you for that. But I remember the first like we did the opening ceremony, and it was in it was in this really cool like plaza in uh some part of, you know some part in, in, in Miraflores, peru and it was this real around this old really cool church and this plaza and people were on balconies and clapping and all of us holding our country's flags and i was competing for ireland wow. and uh and that was pretty special because my dad had passed away not too long before that in uh, 2009 that was uh, 13 and so you know, that was really special for me to be able to, like, represent, like, my father's country, you know, uh, yeah. and my, my, my relatives over there. So that was that was really, like, super special. And uh, and to be with the boys from Ireland who accepted me, even though I was, you know, I'm a Yank, but, um, yeah, but I do have my Irish passport. But what was really cool was when we did the distance race. It was 18 kilometers, and I remember it was about 97 degrees. And it was full, thick, pea soup fog, and it was humid as hell. And I left with this Japanese kid, Kazuki, from Japan. And me and him, even though he didn't speak Japanese, uh, he didn't speak English, I didn't speak Japanese, we worked together as a draft team for almost eight, what, 18 kilometers or whatever it was, 18 miles, I can't remember. But with non-communication, we worked together and we finished together and we crossed together. And that wow. was like, that was to me was like, okay, that, that's what that, that whole international, that whole paddleboard, the world, you know, paddleboard thing was about, you know, like bonding with people from other countries and like, uh, you yeah. know, we, you know, as I said, we left as strangers and we, we, we returned as brothers, you know, it was, it was really cool. And I still, to this day, you know, every once in a while on Facebook, we'll, you know, touch base. And, wow. Uh, yeah, so that was really cool. Um, and then the next day, I got disqualified in the technical race because <laughs> I missed the inside buoy in a, in a 10-foot shore pond, and they 
Then they then they canceled the the next race after it because the shore pond is too big. Uh, it, it wasn't because of a P test incident. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, no. Too, much, too much ginger juice. Too much ginger juice. Yeah. How old were you that year? How old were you that year? Fifty. I had just turned fifty. I had just turned fifty. Yeah. So my my first yeah, how's that? Fifty year old dude doing his doing a, an Olympic sanctioned event. That was. That so was how's crazy. that though, right? I mean, that's that's never gonna. Well, it might happen again sometime, but unless it's something like biathlon or something where. You know, you're, when age comes into play, more than physical skills. But, I mean, who, how, who's ever going to get to do that again? At I know. World-level competition? That's fucking yeah. amazing. It was, it was pretty – you know what? You know, I got my ass kicked. I mean, I finished middle of the pack, which I was totally happy with. In the, uh, and you were there. In the distance, I was there, right? I was at the dance. But, you know, I was okay with my, you know, with, with my results, I guess, other than being DQ'd, but I finished last. So, <laughs> So the shore pond was so big that they took the buoy out and they put in a fisherman's buoy. And it was these two fish, these net balls. And they were, they were like, they were faded pink and they were in a 10 foot shore pond. And I went around, I, I went through and they were on two different ropes. So I went through the middle of them and it's like, okay, I knew I missed the inside one. It was like, you know what? I'm not turning around in a 10 foot shore pond to go fucking read out to get the other buoy. So then I finished last anyways, and then I went to take a pee, pee. I went to take a pee, and I came out of the men's room, and uh, Barrett Tester was there. He said, hey, Johnny, I'll come here. We had a DQ you. It's like, what? He's had a DQ you. It's like, dude, go ahead, put some salt in the wound. But thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So thank you. Thank you, Barrett. Thank you, Barrett. But Kelly French, who's my, is such a, he's Kelly French, a legendary Kelly French. He's the guy at the BOP with the cowboy hat and the, and oh, the yeah. ref, referee's jersey. He did his best to try to get me non DQ'd, but the, you know, the rules were the rules, and I missed one of the buoys, so there you go. But Kelly's a, has always been an honorable uh, Team Ireland guy uh, with a name like Kelly French. Yeah, such a good dude. But, um, French. So that was that was great. That was Peru, man. That was awesome. And then 2016 was in Fiji. Yeah, that was that was next level, man. Just going out to like Cloud Break and Tabarua. That was freaking. That was next level, man. That was freaking insane. Yeah. And uh, day one, I arrived and we went out on the boat to you know to surf. And I was with this Mexican dude, really good guy, and. Uh, Pepe, I think his name, and um, it was double overhead plus spitting barrels on cloud break. Kelly Kelly Slater was out there yelling at paddleboards. Thanks, Kelly. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yelling at paddleboards to get off the wave, and it was like the day before the event began. It's like, all right, dude, give us throw us throw us a bone, you know, something. <clears throat> but uh, so that was that, and I decided, you know what? Oh, we, I was staying at a youth hostel, seven bucks a night with two, uh, uh, 58 bunks, so 57 of my best friends. Um, and uh, when we checked into the youth hostel, we did an overnight flight. I was with the Mexican guy from Team Mexico. And I saw these two people from Team Sweden walking around literally like mummies with gauze all over there from foot over there from foot to knee and from wrist to shoulder, both of them fully gauzed up. And it's like, 
what the fuck happened to you guys? Uh, we were out of cloud. <laughs> we were out of cloud break. We got rolled on the reef. Oh. Like, so when I went out and I saw that, those guys came bang into my head and it's like, okay. And my buddy from Mexico said, come on, man, I'll keep an eye on you. It's like, you know what? You go have some fun. I'm going to stay on the boat. So um, they went and surfed cloud break. And I asked the drivers, anything smaller? And he says, yeah, you know, really cool local dude. Took me over to his panga, just me and him. And he dropped me into restaurants at shoulder to head high with four people out, light offshore, in the Whoa. most perfect left I had ever surfed in my life. That was insane. Wow. I got 11 out of 12 flawlessly, you know, without falling. I fell on one and I didn't get, I didn't hit the reef. And I told somebody, it's, I can't believe how clear there was. It looked like the reef is like six inches below <laughs> because it was six inches below. So uh, <laughs> that was that, that was that, uh, at restaurants. Yeah, that was insane. And then got another, we had a couple of good days at the Motu Lab, a really good day at uh, Wilkes Pass. Wilkes Pass, yeah. And then, uh, and then obviously, we went out there for a, for a competition. I forgot about that. And um, we did. So we were all on this boat, right? We were all on this big boat out in the middle of the ocean uh, looking at cloud break. And we had, yeah, our first. So I did. I was in the surf contest. I did surf, technical, and distance. And so I, my first, I surfed cloud break at like two foot overhead the day before. And I got, I got help, my two biggest hold downs in my life at like literally just slightly overhead. And then the next day, the next two days I did, or maybe one day I did two rounds and I got bounced, but it was nice, comfortable, like shoulder to head high cloud break. And so that was, that was fun. But um, then we did the technical race and that went through the surf break at cloud break. But it, again, it was small, uh, but that was challenging because there was a lot of, there was a lot of currents there. And then, we did the distance race, and that was the race at that time. Kai Lenny had said that it was one of the hardest races or the hardest race he had ever done. That was the distance wow. race, yeah. Because these in the middle of the Fijian Ocean, in the ocean out there, would be rivers. There's rivers running through the middle of the ocean, and you could see them up ahead, and you had to cross these rivers. Wow. And so getting, yeah, that was insane. And... Um, yeah, so that was Fiji. Good, good time. Good group of good two Irish guys, Peter Kaczynski and uh, Neil Byrne. Uh, the guys are classics, and uh, yeah, the whole Irish and uh, Paul Byrne was the first year, and Dave Owens and Sarah Gann and Finn Mullen, Katie Mullen, who they're now married. But Finn was the guy that Finn's the guy that uh, windsurfs Mullockmore. Mullockmore in, in Ireland, that that big that that uh, that slab that everyone goes yeah. that my, and, and he win, and he windsurfs it. He windsurfs it, yeah. So you've seen pictures of him oh, yeah. with his mast, like with the wave, like literally thirty foot over his mast, and he's pulling in. Yeah. Jesus. So yeah, those yeah, so the Ireland. So that that was yeah. So that was the international scene, and then that was pro I think you know what? I think I did one more race. I think I did one more race, and that was it. Carolina Copper. Yeah, that was it. When I finally beat EJ, chasing EJ for seven years, and I finally got him by three seconds. Nice. <laughs> uh, uh, my first BOP, he beat me by 17 minutes plus, and I always had him. He was always my target because it, we're the same age, we're about the same height, same build. I'm, I don't, I'm not as handsome as him, nor do I have a 
the physique or tattoos. He's uh, as big as you are. You know, I, I think he's he's just more he's 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 more you know. But he's but he's the same height, tall. Yeah, he's, he's like a uh, maybe an inch shorter, you know. But overall, yeah. we're about the same size, and we're the wow. same age. And so he was always, you know, I mean, EJ is just a number one, just a great dude, and his wife Andy, great great people, and uh, you know, he was all you know, he's the OG, right? He was wasn't he one of the first guys that did Catalina on a stand up? Yeah, yeah. He's a yeah. He, co co inventor of the dugout man, which is like. The shape now. Wow! Did he do that with Starboard? He did it with Brian Smansky. Oh, it's kind of that, that that shape. It kind of like came into play mm -hmm. and then it disappeared yeah. for a few years, and then it made this resurgence. It now it seems far. like yeah. it seems like any time. any open what? ocean paddleboard now is a dugout. Exactly. When when I was with Starboard, that was two ten, I think. And yeah. they had, that was called the ace. That was called the ace yep. at the time. Yeah. And the problem was, is that people were breaking their ribs and oh. smashing, their, they're smashing their shins on it. So they got rid of it because of liability reasons. Wow. And so it just, it just, I think it just like, it just disappeared because of that reason. And no one ever yeah. put any thought into, okay, how does this thing actually you know, work? So. Sorry, guys. But uh, but that was it. So EJ was always EJ was always my you know target in a good way. You know, so every year I went out to BOP, I you know I'd kind of line up with him and say, okay, this year I get you know this year I gotta fucking try to catch this guy. And so I had a chance actually. I had a chance when they the, the year they had BOP at Salt Creek. I had a chance oh. then. And that was uh, a pretty I, nasty year. I that was crazy, man. That, did you guys do that? No. No. Yeah, that was that was a year where it was, uh, yeah, there was about a ten foot shore pond as well that year, and uh, so I had EJ, and then I think I lost him on a buoy turn, or, or I know I got rolled on a wave going in, but uh, but anyways, so yeah, but there's you know what, it was a great experience. Everyone, you know, all the companies I worked for, all the people that you know, uh, you know. Gave me jobs, paid me to, you know, to have fun, pay for my entry fees, to give me boards and paddles and sunglasses, Maui gym. I mean, you guys, that was, you know, it was just like, okay, I'm 50 years old and it's like I'm traveling around the world and I'm a painting contractor and it's like, and I'm getting paid to have fun. That's and I'm, and it, yeah, it was just, it was like, it was like, it was, it, it really was, I looked at it as a, as, as a, I looked at it as a freaking miracle. I really did because it was like, okay, you know, I, I raised my daughter myself, 18 years of grinding and all painting houses, raising her. She got a great scholarship to college, and then this fell into my lap. So I looked at it, okay, maybe this is a higher powers reward for, you know, putting in my time or some stuff like that. But I, I really like every every person in the industry. I, I appreciated everything they did for me, and then. Even, you know, that was very important. But even more importantly was the people I met, you know. Obviously, you guys and the, the, the core New England crew. Yeah. And uh, that we're all still friends today. We mountain bike together and drink beers together and have fun together. And uh, and then the people around the country and internationally that I've met have taken me into their houses. My yeah. friends in Puerto Rico up in Arecibo. You know, uh, Alex Maldonado and his brother and his whole crew. I mean, took me in every year, you know, 
and uh, guys down in Peru, guys in the did Caribbean, you, you know. Did you, awesome. did, you ever get to surf, did you ever get to surf Chicano when you were in Peru? No, I didn't. I just surfed. I uh, just surfed um, uh, the the beach right there, La Pampilla, and we went down. I went down with Greg Carson and Ernie uh, from Puerto Rico. Ernie's the head of the, the Puerto Rico surf. Ernie, uh, God, what's Ernie's last name? You know, he's a he's a Puerto Rican legend. Legend. God, Ernie Avila or something. Uh, but I went down to Hermosa. What? Hermosa? Puncha Hermosa. Not sure. Puncha Hermosa, which is like, that's where all the, you know, some of the big wave spots are. I think yeah. whatever the big wave spot is there. So we surfed, we paddled out to a distant wave and there was a guy towing in that day. <laughs> all right. And it was a big ocean swell. It wasn't that big, but it was a thick Pacific swell. And it's like, I got one wave and I said, okay, boys, I'm out of here. And uh, But that was it. I, would, I meant to go to Chicama, meant to go to Machu Picchu, but yeah, I think I went back to the Caribbean. So, uh, but uh, and that's most of where I've spent my time over the past sixteen winters has been in the British Virgin Islands. You know, surfing Kane Garden Bay and Apple Bay and just just flawless aqua blue waves. You know, Patrick, you were there, right? Yeah, I never got Kane Garden though, but one day we'll we'll go back for sure. For sure, you're gonna go uh, back? Yeah, I'll go back one winter. I was supposed to go back last winter. And didn't make it this winter. I was supposed to go back and had to cancel my ticket because of the virus. But a uh, good crew of people down in the Caribbean. Bill Craft is another classic. Bill and Isabel over in St. Croix. Yeah. And the crew there, remember they had um, in Frederickstead, uh, Q and his, and his mom, they had Seoul, what was it, uh, Seoul City Surf or something out in uh, Frederickstead, St. Croix. Good people, Bill. Yeah. So anyways, that was that's a wrap. So here we are, man. Here we are. Paddleboard racing uh, has kind of uh, somewhat, you know, tapered to kind of almost disappeared, I guess, from the level yeah. it was. And who knows what yeah. the future is, I guess. You know. What do you guys so think? What What would you say, because it seems like, you know, over the last decade, you've become more and more, more and more competitive as an athlete, I guess and more and more active as an individual. And so, I mean, let, let's, let's call it what it is. You're 56 years old, 55 years old, 57, um, 57. So you're, you're still, you're almost, you know, being more active as an older individual. What, what is kind of, what's kind of fueling that and keeping, keeping you going. Yeah. Um, like, it, is there any specific change that you've made in the past 10 years that, uh, you know, has set you on track to continue with the super active lifestyle? I mean, the other day you texted us and you were like, oh, yeah, I, pad I paddled for, you know, I surfed for three hours and then I went on a 20 mile bike ride and yeah, you know, I, was I, like, I just what? did a six mile hike. I mean, that you're doing a whole lot more than uh, most people you know, half your age and you're yeah. still, you're doing, you're, you're charging. So like what, what's, what's the secret? <laughs> yeah. Well, is you it know, something, you've, you've, honestly, have you have you just, always been really active like that? Or is you it know, I've always, yeah, I've always been active, dude. I've, you know, since I was, I started playing, you know, team sports when I was, uh, 
uh, started playing team sports, peewee football, little league baseball, you know, peewee, whatever. But eight years old, eight years old, I started playing team sports. So I played that all the way through high school, played college basketball. Uh, the only white kid on a team down in right outside, right outside the Bronx, uh, <laughs> Westchester Community College. We had 10th in the nation. And, um, and I was the only white dude on the team. That was when the, when the TV show, The White Shadow, was out. So they were calling me The White Shadow. Ah. <laughs> but here's the but, thing here's the thing right does, does it, here's the thing a lot of people do high school and college right. athletic and that becomes the apex of their athletic yeah. life and then they yeah. just go into the i'm going to get a job have kids right. get a mortgage watch tv right. and get fat you know what the invention of, of quilted adult depends that has really changed <laughs> my life <laughs> <laughs> Now I can do those 25 miles on Strava like I showed you guys and not have to worry about taking a potty break. So that's probably the first, that's probably the first thing, but no, I have to say, okay, number one, I've been active my whole life. Number two, I'm probably vain as fuck. So I don't want to, I don't want to look, you know, I don't want to let my body. I just, I just, I, you know, I have to say right now, my core is probably the softest it's been in a long time because I have been paddle boarding, and uh, and I'm not doing my core stuff, but I'll get back on it. But you know what? Someone once said, how, you know, Johnny, how do you stay in shape? It's like, you know, I jokingly say the best way to get in shape is stay in shape. So it's like you just never let yourself out of shape. But, you know, being around guys like you, you know, like you guys, Will, you're younger. Patrick, you're still crushing it. You know, Andrew Keller, uh, Begsy, you know, but obviously all of us, all of us you know, hold Mike Brown on a pedestal, right? Because like, talk yeah. about a guy, it's like, no matter how fucking lazy we may feel, no matter how many excuses we may make, Brownie's crushing us. And it's like, okay, so you know what? If he's doing it at 67, then, you know, I can still keep- 67 now? 67, yeah. God, Remember we went up man. went up to Andrew's, went up to Andrew's uh, wedding up in New Hampshire oh, and we fat biked and Mike crushed us all, crushed wow. us all. You know, wow. and uh, but you, you know, I think I think Will is like, unlike you guys, it's like, you know, our our bodies, our temple, right? And so, you know, you have to eat well, you got to sleep well, you got to take care of yourself, you got to, you know, and it's like, and and honestly, part of the seasonal effectiveness thing, and probably just part of you know, mental and emotional stability is is exercise, you know, and if you don't have that. You know, Laird Hamilton once said, uh, the legendary Laird. Have you guys heard of him? Laird Hamilton lives in Hawaii. And Malibu. Malibu, yeah. He once said, he said, you know what? I'm a much better person the rest of the day when I get scared shit first thing in the morning. You know, so basically he paddles out, you know, uh, gets, you know, his theory gets scared on a wave or whatever. So for, for I think all of us, you know, three of us. And I think for all of our, you know, our ethos of like, uh, you know, athletes that we hang out with, we're much better people. And I think we're much better people when we just get, when we get that, when we, when we, oh, when, yeah. we like, when we, when we purge, we purge, like, yep. you know, all the inner demons or all the, um, yeah. you know, or we need to get the, you know, all the, you know, the, the, you know, the messy, what was the uh, natural, what is that shit that you um that you produce? 
uh, testosterone, no. endorphins, yeah. endorphins. You get to, you yeah. know, you got to produce those endorphins. That's what's yeah. keep, that's what's keeping us, you know, keeping us mentally and emotionally yeah. stable. So that's yeah. part of that. That's a huge, that's a huge part of it. But the other part is just like, what's the best feeling at the end of the day than to lay down in your bed and, and your body is like physically spent where you can't, you know, nothing better, right? After we, you know, we, we Cape Cod Bay crossing, right? We did that. How many miles? 38 miles. In the, <laughs> yeah. When the, the support boat got lost. Oh, I missed that year, thank God. No, I thought I thought you were there. I did. You, no, I, I, don't, I don't know if I did it one or two years. I think I did it twice, maybe once. I don't yeah. know, but as enough. But you, I mean, you guys you know you guys have done real distance shit. So it's like, you know, that feeling of just being physically exhausted. You know, and it, it helps you to sleep well. And then it's like know, being a kid it's like, again. It's like being a kid again, and then. You know, obviously, none of us, none of us want to age, right? So you, you, you try the best you can to kind of, uh, you know, to keep yourself fit and and uh, and motivated. Uh, you know, the competition part. You know, Will, you mentioned like, am I still competitive? I think I, I think I've always been the most competitive with myself. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, even when I competed against you guys, you know. Sure, I'd compete against you guys and try to, you know, beat you guys, which I fucking couldn't. But who I competed against I, my, my, the most is myself, you know, and I think we all do. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's just constantly trying to raise that bar, you know what I mean? Raise that bar athletically, physically, you know, uh, you know, with your diet, uh, you know, and then just in life, too, you know, trying to like. You know, just trying to evolve, you know, like mentally, physically, emotionally, constantly evolution, you know, when you don't evolve, I think that's when shit gets, that's when shit gets kind of like, you know, shit gets start going sideways, man, when, you, when we're not evolving as human beings, you know. And, yeah. And so, and that's the hardest part, Will, as you know, even though now you're living the dream in Maui, <laughs> Hawaii, leaving me and Wood Patrick here to suffer in the Northeast. You know, that's that's the real legitimate struggle and kind of a challenge of of surviving and keep keeping as Patrick, as we know, because we talk about it all the time, keeping that level of enthusiasm, that level of fitness during six months of like gray misery, you know, and it's like, you know, not to toot our own horn, but it's like, okay, surfing. You know, what's the latest craze? Everyone goes to Iceland and gets these pictures of them surfing barrels and snow behind them. And then they go back to California, Florida, Hawaii, right? And it's like, you know, and then the boys in, in Central California, you know, the hardcore in Northern California. It's like, okay, you guys, you got on four threes. I don't see any gloves on. You got some hoods. <laughs> and it's like, not that they're not charging legitimate waves, yeah. but it's like, honestly, it's like, New England surfers, New England watermen, man, a freaking hard fucking core. The only ones hardcore, you know, obviously some of them Scandinavian countries, but the guys in the Midwest and in, in, in the Great Lakes, those yeah. guys are yeah, next that's, level that's to insane. New England. That's next level to New England. But the New England boys and girls, it's like, man, you have to be, you know, Joe Rogan on his podcast was talking about that the other day. And he says, you know, people are just soft out here in L.A., man. It's a 68-degree day, and people are, you know, pissing and moaning about it. And it's like, you know, you have to be, you have to be, like, 
a survivalist to, you know, or you have to be, you have to, you know, you have to endure winter after winter of New England winters is, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's fucking builds character, man, you know? And, uh, I think, I think that's a challenge for all of us, you know, but you do it right. You have, you have to, you put on your, you put on your five, you put on your five, four and you put your, you know, your winter, you know, your winter virus, athletic gear underneath little plug for virus. Uh, <laughs> and your, 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 your wool socks and you pour, take your coffee thermos and you pour hot water into your booties and gloves before you go out, pour the really? rest in your suit and then you paddle out. And the best, the best part of your session is when you piss your pants, you know, and it's like, <laughs> you, you know, you get warm again, but you know, you guys have been there. And it's like, that's freaking hardcore, man. And I don't last. And I'm a, I'm a pussy because I disappear every winter. I don't even but go I, out anymore. But I still surf winter. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I'll last an hour. I'll last an hour, an hour and 15, maybe an hour and a half. It's a sunny day or I'm on my paddleboard. But it's, these guys are out. These guys are out all the time. And those Darn. guys on shortboard sitting up to their necks, <laughs> man. That's like, <laughs> what? Or Jimmy Vincent and Brownie, would be, you know, uh, hand planing in the wintertime. Yeah. You know? And these guys, I'm a pussy. I go out only when it's sunny and warm. If it's above yeah. 35 and it's sunny, the wind isn't too hard. These yeah. guys are going out in 15 sideways hail oh. and snow, northeast winds. God. And I've done that. I used to do that. I'm not that masochistic anymore, but it's like, you have to be freaking hardcore. And the guys in the Great Lakes, I know some of those guys, man. Those guys are legends, man, because their water freezes on their beard, you know. But, uh, so that's it, Will. I mean, why, you know, why, you know, I mean, I don't, you know, uh, you know, to others that aren't staying fit. I I don't see how, I I, I don't see how they exist without having having movement you know and i tell people it doesn't make a difference what you do you just move man it doesn't make it you cycle you mountain bike you hike you know you can wind surf you can kite surf you can surf you can paddleboard you can prone surf and patrick last year got me with one of his bon po uh sick 14 foot prone boards he got me into proning you know that was what two years ago right pat i don't know i didn't get that board from brownie right I got it from Brownie, but you made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and that was enough. That's just that's you know added. That's just a new. Okay, what's the you know this? That's just a new form of, of exercise and different yeah. different body parts, you know. And so, uh, okay. me Pat, yeah, and we did the Blackburn last year, twenty miles together. Me, Patrick, and Andrew, and it's like I remember Jimmy Jimmy T. You know Jimmy T. Well, right? Yeah, Jimmy Tarantino, uh, who's won Blackburn every year for probably I don't know since he was 18 and he's probably 60 now in a one man dory and a wooden dory. And I have to say he paddled past past. Remember that Patrick? We were just, oh, rounding, yeah. we were rounding like halibut point. Well, and he, 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 he passed by us rowing, you know, Jimmy T he's got his headband and he's got a bandana on and his jean shorts and no shirt on. And he just looked at <laughs> us and just, he just looked at us and talk about like, the ultimate compliment, even though we were fucking, I was literally dead last. The ultimate compliment <laughs> was like, he just looked at us and he was just shaking his head. And he says, you guys are fucking savages, man. You guys are the fucking real deal. And it's like, <laughs> we're dead last. And we're dead last. But you know what? To some respect, it's like, 
you're hand paddling. You get nothing other than these fucking things for 20 you're miles. Just, you're one step away from just swimming it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's basically swimming with, a, with some buoyancy assistance. That's it. Yeah, and uh, and that was awesome, man. That was a it was a great it was a great experience yeah. to be with you know two of your best buddies and just and we and, and all of us had competed for so long so hard and that we were just doing this for fun. I had mm-hmm. trained. Patrick had had a donut and a coffee that this morning. I think that was his, <laughs> the morning. That was Patrick's training. Andrew had done some training, but. Yeah. Um, but we had we had so much fun and we didn't care. I we finished last last and dead last with the with nope. the with with the uh, Coast Guard boat like Coast Guard boat behind us with the with the blinking red light. And we got on the beach and everyone's going you know giving us the sympathy. Wow, geez, you know you, yeah, geez, you know you give it to yourself. You you guys do great out there. <laughs> like like, like we did. Where's the beer table? Where's where's my pork yeah. and beans and beer? So, yeah, well, yeah, go ahead. You know, as much as as much as there were moments of discomfort in that race, when I look back on it, I don't have any bad feelings. I just remember having a good time with you and Andrew. I don't remember exactly. being like particularly miserable. You ah. know, ah. we had all done it. We had all done the Blackburn before, so we knew what to expect. Well, me and you grew up in the waters here, so we kind of know what to expect. And Patrick, you've done enough fucking distance to know you know what's going to come, and and so I think that, that probably our mindset was probably pretty good too, you know. And, uh, yeah. But you know what? That's the thing, Will. You know, I mean, you know, Will the legendary, and still to this day, uh, hold record holder of of, uh, of the Blackburn. <laughs> you know, you know, we grew up, Will. We grew up, whether we know it or not, whether we're conscious of it, whether we were conscious of it at the time. You know, Hawaii has an amazing water culture. Peru has an amazing water culture. Puerto Rico has a water culture of Hawaii. Nobody seems to know that. But whatever Hawaii does, Puerto Rico does it, you know. And um, in Gloucester, we grew up in Gloucester. You know, the culture is the ocean. We grew up on an island. You know, I'm on the other side of the bridge. You are, well, you're on the island side. But, you know, when you grow up around the ocean, you know, you don't. You know, I grew up, probably started 10 years old, baiting my, my brother's lobster traps and then working on the fish piers and then commercial lobstering for a couple of years like Will did. And you're just like, this is, you don't even think about it. You're just part of it. You're part of the ocean, you know? And it's like, and so, you know, uh, you know, the Blackburn, I remember, I don't know about you, Will, uh, but for me, back in the day, what I knew of the Blackburn was guys would put a case of beer in a two-man dory, and they hadn't touched the dory until the, since the year before, and they'd roll around the <laughs> island drinking beer. That's so yeah. cool. <laughs> and uh, and now everyone's in you know spandex and lycra and you know and with their you know dental with their dental mirrors on their sunglasses, and, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but you know what? So it's evolved, right? You know, it's evolved and it's like everyone's in it. You know, that's the amazing thing about the Blackburn Challenge. Will, you've done enough races. Patrick, you've done enough races. Fucking the Blackburn Challenge, man, is one of the, it's one of the Thanks. fucking hardcore. It's, what, yeah, it's, what, it's, it's the oldest open ocean challenge on the East Coast. But it's also one of those just like no frills. This is about paddling, man. Well, guys, no even bullshit. know about it out here. 
Did they really? Oh yeah. There's, really? there's guys that have, that have come from out here to go do it and, or they were, yeah. you know, on a mainland for something and yeah. they heard about it and went and did it. And so yeah. pe- people know about it. It's not yeah. just some, you know, local hillbilly event. It's right. It's a, uh, it's a known event. So yeah, it's just pretty cool. And it's certainly, I mean, I'm sure for you, Will, and for me, uh, and Patrick, who has done it, but certainly for me and Will, we're from Gloucester, you know? So for us, it's kind of like, fuck, that's pretty cool, man. We have this like legitimate yeah. paddle row, you know, ocean, you know, whatever, ocean craft, mm-hmm. manually, you know, driven, you know, one of the one of the one of the most unique in the world, you know. That's pretty cool to like have it in your own town and and when you're doing it, you know. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's people in their 80s doing that thing still. Yeah, man, for sure. Amazing. It is amazing, man. You know, and 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 you know to do it. And me and Will know the island so well from growing up here. And you're doing it, and our perspective is probably a lot different than those who kind of do it every year. You know, we're going class pace places that we've been as kids. We've we've lobstered, Will. You've lobstered. We've been, you know, all these. We've lobstered the whole coastline, so we know all the nooks and crannies. But it's just, and, and you're looking at this place that's just, you know, really. I, I'll put up Gloucester in the summertime. It's beautiful. Any island I've been to, you know, and uh, certainly more, certainly as, as dysfunctional, but that's a separate story. But, uh, <laughs> but so it's cool. Yeah. So back to exercise. There you go. I mean, just move, so man. Keep, right? keep moving, keep exercising, keep drinking your ginger juice. Yeah. Ginger juice. Yeah. And don't, and don't <laughs> be afraid. Don't be afraid of Bud Light, man. It won't hurt you no. to a day. Keeps the doctor away. <laughs> yeah. And a Sunday morning donut, plain, chocolate frosted, not honey dipped, raised at Donut Gyms oh. in Gloucester. Not That's old just, fashioned raised, huh? Nah, no, no plain. It's got to be plain chocolate covered. But raised, not not not, no, no, not raised, not raised. Raised got too much sugar. Oh yeah, yeah cakes, it's got to be plain. Cakes. Yeah, not that the chocolate frosting has any sugar in it all, but. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but you know what? Well, it's just like you know, you guys know, man. Look at, I mean, Phil. I mean, Will. You're a, you know, you're a fitness freak, dude. And you know, you you're certainly with your with your uh, vitamins and your supplements. You, I mean, you're you're the king of that. You 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 have started that. You know, I'm you know. I'm just dipping my toes in the water. I don't. Yeah. Uh, the, the the more you read about it, the more you realize you know nothing about it. Right. As, as is everything in life. This is true. This is true. No, it's true. And it's like, uh, but, you know, we all, you know, that, I think that as, as athletes, you know, and uh, I never really thought of myself as an, you know, I thought of myself as an athlete, but I remember Mark Angelillo, he, he'd always like when he, he, you know, the ABPA, whatever event he was, you know, you know, emceeing, I guess. He'd always refer to us as athletes, you know, and I thought, fuck, you know, that's, you know, kind of we are, you know, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's very complimentary, you know, and it's like, you know, being an athlete is like, you know, it's, 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 it's something we share together. You know, it's, it's a brotherhood, right? And sisterhood that we all, if you're not in it, you may not understand it, you know, but if you're in it, we all know, we all know, you know, when, when we listen to the lid podcast, we listen to what he's talking about, you know, we now may not be dump, jumping in the pool and, you know, uh, running the length of it with, you know, 55 pound dumbbells and then jumping into a 200 degree sauna, but we get it, you know, we get, we get that whole, 
thought process as an athlete, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so, but, uh, yeah. Well, thanks for the storytelling. That's, that's quite the, uh, quite the journey you've been on and continue on. It's been good. good. Life. Yeah, it sounds been, like a good life lives, man. It's a good life, you, lived, man. You've done, it's, you've done your admirable things and your honorable major sacrifices and have looked out for your family and, but you've also had these incredible experiences independently of that. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great story to listen to, I think. And uh, it should be inspiring for people. Thanks. No, you know, it's like, you know, I've been, I've been, you know, I was calling myself, I, I sometimes refer to myself jokingly as the chosen one. It's like, I've just had, I've had a great life, man. I've been blessed, you know, so I've been blessed yeah. with a great parents and great family Great friends like you guys, great. And, 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 you know, my daughter's just, you know, rock star from day one. You know, she just doesn't quit, man. She never gives up. And, uh, well, I bet part of that's just having a positive influence like yourself around. I mean, you raised her solo and then you built your own business. Plus, you do all this other stuff in addition to giving her a good life. I mean, it's just what's ingrained in her. So, yeah, maybe, maybe she's, you know, she's just, she, She's impressive, man, you know, but it's like, you know what, I have to, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a great life and those like yourselves who have been in it and those who have helped us along the way and, uh, you know, too many to possibly mention, but helped us along the way athletically, helped us along the way emotionally, you know, uh, helped us along the way, you know, uh, career wise or whatever that may be, man, we're just like, you know, it's fortunate. And the only thing we can really do, and I, and I kind of learned this, is like we can just pay it forward because we can't, we can't always, we can sometimes thank those who did things for us. Mm-hmm. But we may never see those people again. But what we can do is just we can, we can pay it forward, you know, so that, you know, whether it's athletically or whether it's, you know, uh, you know, just as a human being, you know, just kind of like, okay, someone did something really nice for me, something really. So, you know, let's, let's do our part to try to do that to somebody else, you know, and, and, or do that for somebody else, you know? And so, uh, if I could real quick, uh, and this is not me doing anything, this is everyone else doing stuff. And I just happen to be the guy that kind of, uh, and brings it together, I guess every September, the waves of impact. Uh, my buddy Tom Swainkamp and Josh and Keith's group out in California, and uh, we do a autism camp here in Good Harbor Beach, and uh, uh, it's for kids with autism and their families. They come to the beach for the day, and we take them out surfing on a paddleboard, and we have all the local boys show up and girls surfers. And, uh, you know, talk about paying it forward, and it's like. You know, surfing has given us so many great experiences, so many days at the beach, so many days on the wave, you know, to find something in surfing that we can do to pay that forward, you know, and get involved. There's a million of these groups out there, whether it's Wounded Warriors, like, Will, you did your paddle up the coast of Wounded Warriors, whether it's, a you know, uh, surfers healing, whether it's waves of impact, you know, to get involved into one of those things and give back to the ocean into the, into the waves, you know, to a, to a child or to a family, you know, that, uh, has never had that experience. It's, it's freaking, it's humbling, you know, it's really humbling, you know, and it's like, 
when you see the most humbling part of that, you know, is like when you see like these like stoic kind of like, you know, kind of nonverbal locals that show up in their short borders and they don't say much in the lineup and they show up and they melt in front of your eyes. Wow. You know, and they're the ones at the end of the camp. I remember this one guy did it. I won't mention his name, but he's just a, such a good guy. And he's uh, in the lineup. He's quiet. He charges. Good dude, but he just doesn't say much. And he's old school, respect. And, he, you know, like a rest of us might get a little pissy and uh, when people don't proper etiquette. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I'll make a buy. Maybe I'll stay for an hour. And it's like in every hour I kept saying, no, do you got to go? If you got to go, go. No, no, no. Good, good. <laughs> And so after like four hours, he was the first one to say, man, you're going to do this again next year. And it was like, to me, that was like, that was, that was like, that, that really blew me away, you know, and, uh, because that he got it, man. It was like giving back, you know, giving back to the ocean, giving back, you know, to, to people that can't do what we can do, you know? And, uh, yeah. and so, yeah, so it's, it's all good, man. Life is good. Yeah. Life is good. I look forward to it paddling with you guys patrick hopefully we can get down to baja and we'll hopefully yeah. join us for that and just get off the grid and uh big plug to bon poe with his bringing the gliders to the east coast man if none of you listeners out there have never been on a freaking glider man you want to change your fucking life man forever <laughs> Ever, it's better than it's better than sex it's better than edibles it's better it's better than two bud lights it's better than bud light lime with newman's limeade and a squeeze of lemon on top get on a glider man patrick bromel bonpo surfboards and crispy noodles 12 foot asymmetrical three three or five stringers uh that one's got five Five, but the ACM is still still has to be proven. Right, but it's right. just the length. Just got to get on right. the length. But you get a gun, Ben Patrick. I've been, you know, I was very very fortunate. Patrick had two gliders, a fourteen he made, and he had a Pavel five stringer, five hundred pound, <laughs> twelve foot twelve two glider, man. And he, I, I used it as a pal. If you ever sell this, please let me know. Sold it to me. And I'm telling you, dude, that completely changed my entire view of surfing. You know, it changed everything because it was like, I can go out an ankle high and have as much fun as I can in double overhead, aqua blue cane garden bag. And if you feel the glide, if you're on a paddleboard, you've felt glide before, if especially a downwinder. But if you're on a, a glider and you get on a wave and it only has to be knee high, man, and that thing just accelerates and you're just standing there, it's just fucking awesome, man. Yeah. Awesome. Wait till we get down to, wait till, wait till we get down to Scorpion that thing links up, man, on a uh, 12-footer. Oh. Dude, insane. So thank, thank you, Patrick. And I know we're gonna Will's making We're, we're going to have to okay. bring back the, uh, the blame Johnny O hat. <laughs> That's right. What were we gonna do that for? Oh, that was for that was for that that was for the that's right. That was for when I opposed the Cape Ann Surfers Union. Sorry, kids. Sorry, I burst your bubble. Uh, but you know what? Think of it. Think of this. I'll leave you on this. And it's like you know what? We as surfers, as my friend Dave Pascarelli, 
big wave Dave said, uh, we had a city hall meeting. There's a group called the Cape Van Surfers Union. They were trying to open up surfing 24-7 Gloucester, which hasn't happened and shouldn't happen in the summertime because we need to, as a surf community and as a community, we need to share the beach with others. And so we were opposed to that because these people come to the beach for two months in the summer. They come from Vermont, Connecticut. They come from Springfield. And they just want a day at the beach without having some asshole on a surfboard fucking yelling at them. And so... I think us as surfers, we need to learn to share the beach, share the waves with others. You know what I mean? And like, you know, be blessed and, and feel fortunate that we have what we have. But there's a time when we have to give it up for others who may just want to use it for their their own enjoyment, whether it's sure. fly fishing or, you know, kids going out on a boogie board, you know, and that's where they yeah. that's where they may start as a surfer, you know, but if yeah. other surfers in their way and intimidating them with our big boards, you know. But, I agree, uh, man. 12-foot gliders. Many 12-foot gliders, but on that note, short though, uh, Will, don't you have a 1010 coming from Patrick, or what size? I don't have anything coming from anyone. Oh, I thought you had but a long board. I have no idea. I'm just being selfish, but who knows? One might find its way to Maui. Right, right. Great yeah, one line. Right, right now, I have a rack of surfboards behind me that need to be repaired. Yeah, <laughs> you do an amazing job with it. But I'll, I will say, when it comes to longboards, Patrick once said to me, and this is this is no offense to the to our to the other gender, but you know, I was on a, I, I got a nine three you know longboard, and I had been on you know it's like and I died. It's like Patrick, this this thing's like a freaking shortboard. As like he said, any board under a ten foot is a lady's board. <laughs> and, it, and, it, it, and I know you meant that, you know, not in a disrespectful way, but I, I truly have gotten to that point where it's like the bigger the board, the bigger the smile now. That's true. It's just like, yeah, and just have fun, you know. And uh, yeah, it's simple. So. It's a simple it's a simple mathematic equation, right? You have to match at the very least match your volume with the board's volume. So you have at the very least neutral density. So if I'm 100, say I'm, say I'm 200 pounds, so 200 divided by 2.2 is a liter, which is great. Right. That's a great thing about the metric system is a kilo is a liter. A, a liter of water is a kilogram of water. So if yeah. you've got, so say I'm 90 liters, I got to have a board that's at least 90 if I want it ride the energy of the wave without having to generate power on my own by either driving off the fins or whatever that is. So the more volume you get, if you can stand on your board like a stand-up and not sink, then all you need is the, the, the just the white water from a one-foot wave to get you moving forward and you're surfing. Whereas exactly. if you're on a, some little friggin' wiggle stick that uh, you're just like, you can't do anything. You might as well uh, just get a jet ski. Uh, but that's okay, as, as many of a good man has said, more ways for us, man. That's right. That's like, it. Exactly. Stay off the gliders. That's it, man. But yeah, if anyone out there wants to try a glider, man, contact Patrick, man. He makes some contact sick gliders, man. Yeah. But anyways, well, boys, my you guys may have to run, and my I'm down to like five percent. But you tell me. Well, yeah. it's been good chatting with you, Johnny. O. It's been awesome, man. Thank you, Will. Wicked Aloha and Patrick Bromel. You guys rock. And uh, yeah, man. It's, uh, you know, it's awesome, Will, you're doing this. It really is that uh, you're bringing in, you know, ocean paddlers and whatever craft they may be on. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, 
we all respect others on other, since we've been on so many crafts ourselves, yeah. OCs and long boards and stand-up boards and prone boards and fishes and gliders, yeah. you know, dories, canoes, whatever. You guys did that, you know, crazy fucking Yukon in a canoe. And it's like, we, we, you know, I think true water people respect other true water people, you Absolutely. know, because, yeah, no matter what craft you may you may choose, you know. Yep. So that's my that's my parting words. Right well, thanks for the wisdom. Thanks, man. And you know what? Not to cut it short, but you know, I gotta change these adult depends, man. They get really <laughs> <fucking, laughs> they get uh, moist, man. They get moist and I can sell them through the internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Well, let's talk All right, boys. For sure, man. Thanks, you guys. Will Rich, Patrick Vermel, Wicked Alohas, Wicked Alohas, and uh, talk to you on the other side. Talk to me on the other side. Thanks, you guys. Had a blast. Everyone out there in Radio Land, uh, Alohas and Mahalos. Thank you so much for listening. If you are enjoying the podcast, please spread the word. As always, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at wicked.aloha.podcast. And don't forget to subscribe and rate us. Until next time, keep moving forward.